0: You're listening to The Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. And welcome to The Domecast,
1: our weekly look back and ahead at all things in North Carolina government and politics. I'm Andy Kurlis with the News and Observer. Thank you, Pat Gannon, for filling in the last couple weeks. Of course, I made an appearance at the end of last week's show, but... Um nice to be away, but also nice to be back. We thank you for listening. We have a good show lined up. We're going to talk about uh, a lot of interesting topics going on, usually a slow time of the year, but not uh, for the Domecast. So let's start first with Craig Jarvis of the News and Observer and Joe Neff of the News and Observer, covering some interesting stories, the biggest one being uh, the GovOps Ops. Although that's not uh, what's the official name, Craig. What's the what's the,
2: the joint legislative commission on uh, government governmental operations? So no wonder they call it
1: GovOps. So we'll go with GovOps. Uh, and so the big GovOps uh, hearing, and uh, this is a a committee that meets when the legislature is not in session, and it's sort of an oversight function headed by uh, the. Uh, Senate leader, Phil Berger, and the Speaker of the House, uh, Tim Moore. You know, in the recent period, there didn't seem quite the same level of activity out of that committee. Tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, but nonetheless, this was a week where we had a GovOps meeting. A lot of things on the agenda. The most interesting uh, to a lot of folks was these uh, prison contract uh, situation. Joe Neff, you, of course, have been covering that. We've been talking about that on the Domecast the last couple weeks. So tell us, uh, sort of sketch out a little bit uh, how this uh, hearing unfolded, what what happened, uh, who was doing the talking, and then maybe we'll kind of get in and, and break it down a little bit. Right. Thanks, Andy. Um,
3: a- as you know, the, the controversy at the center of this story is a meeting that Governor <coughs> McCrory held in 2014 with four of his top prison officials and Graham Keith Sr., who uh, a big Charlotte developer and businessman, friend of the governor and political contributor, and according to a memo of that meeting, it started with Graham Keith Sr. telling the assembled people, I've given lots of money over the past decade or more, and it's time for me to get something in return. Uh, so the legislature, uh, uh, the GovOps commit uh, committee, uh, called this meeting, and at the meeting uh, was Lee Roberts. He's the state budget director, and Frank Perry, who is the secretary of public safety. And Lee Roberts was the one who McCrory called in uh, back in 2014. After that meeting. The governor asked Roberts to take a look at the contracts and see which way to go. Who's saving the state more money, Keith or the state employees? And Roberts led the, Roberts and Thomas Stith, the chief of, McCrory's chief of staff, uh, pushed the contracts through and extended them for another year. Lee Roberts got up at the meeting and put on a very um, polished PowerPoint presentation. Uh, showing how, no matter how you sliced or diced it, that the private maintenance work done by the Keith Corporation saved uh, money uh, compared to having it done by state employees.
1: Now, wasn't it, one of the things that came out in this meeting, or was it already known that it was uh, Frank Perry who suggested Lee Roberts uh, as sort of a mediator on this uh, behind-the-scenes dispute?
3: Yeah, Frank Perry has said that in the past. At the meeting, he said he actually uh, wrote a note on a napkin, Lee Roberts, and, and passed it to the governor. Uh, and so he's taking credit for bringing Lee Roberts into this. Uh, I don't know if Lee Roberts is happy that uh, Frank
1: suggested him at this point. <laughs> I think there was something uh, along those lines, but and that's what led to... Uh, Frank Perry saying, well, you know, when Roberts made, or made whatever recommendation he did at the time, that he sort of felt he had to go along with it.
3: Yeah, he, he went along with it because uh, he, he was following, as he said, he following marching orders. Although, you know, Frank Perry did leave a paper trail or electronic trail in this, showing his misgivings, including saying that he thought this decision would soil the gov. Uh, so, so, Lee Roberts made that presentation, and then uh, Frank Perry talked a bit, and the, uh, they were, the, the two of them were questioned by different lawmakers, and the Republicans seemed to be most interested in the provenance of this memo. The memo, uh, which we have published online at, on Newsobserver.com, it's not dated and it's not signed. It's just a one-page account of the high points of the meeting. And uh, Senator Harry Brown is like, Well, who wrote it? Well, this seems irregular. This, wh- Where's the signature? Where's the date? Where is the electronic copy of this from uh, the, the Deputy Commissioner, Joe Prater, who wrote the memo? Uh, so there's a lot of time about that. Um, and then uh, when the Democrats started uh, asking questions, uh, they were more factual, more specific of Frank Perry, who was at that meeting, and what happened there. And One of the interesting things that Perry said was that he had had a total of four conversations with Graham Keith. And at each conversation, Graham Keith talked about his political contributions and about how he deserved something in return.
1: And that was, uh, uh, of course, we had reported uh, previously uh, something along those lines, but uh, sketch out for us what was new about that, uh, if anything.
3: Well, I, I think what was mostly new is the people in the legislature looking Frank Perry in the eye and him saying that uh, the, the, the Keith was talking about his contributions and deserving something. We had reported... Uh, at least three meetings where this conversation sort of conversation came about but uh, the tone of the the mood in the room as Frank Perry uh, was was saying this became uh, is more serious or more somber I don't know Craig if you had that impression yeah yeah
2: <clears throat> I guess I guess I had a couple couple thoughts about that is that one is a big commission and most of the commissioners didn't know what to do about it they didn't kind of they tiptoed around it most of them didn't really have questions. Um, John Torbett, a representative from Caston uh, County uh, sort of illustrated that sort of tiptoeing thing when he said, well, there, you know, this is we've had cultures of corruption in state government. But that's a thing of the past. We have a new administration. Uh, you know, maybe sometimes when private enterprise comes and makes a case to government, they uh, there, are, there are misunderstandings. Perhaps that's what happened in this case. Sort of apologetic i thought setting up that stage other than other than harry brown who really was grilling away over and over and kept coming back to it about this unauthenticated memo um, the republicans were pretty soft peddling on the whole thing i thought hall i agree larry hall i think was the first lawyer to question him and he really sort of put him through a cross put them through a cross-examination or mostly put perry through it trying to uh Establish what happened at that meeting, who said what, what did you hear. Um, I thought Susie Hamilton from uh, Wilmington was interesting and that she finally said, I'm, I, you know, I, I hate to disagree, but this is not a typical situation where the governor is in meeting with some company they want to recruit. It just seems like on its face it was a little uh, inappropriate. It was a small contract in the scheme of the state budget, it seemed to get a whole lot of attention and uh, it just seemed pretty irregular. And, and Hall concluded by saying, "Yeah, they, they it got a lot. They got a lot of deference on this."
1: Now, uh, one of the things that was said, I think, uh, definitively is the contract is over. Is that right?
3: The contract was canceled last month in
1: October, and so um, it will not be uh, renewed. So, does that end it? Does this committee hearing and you know uh, some airing of this in the public? Is that, uh, is that is that the end of this story, uh, Joe, or will this this thing uh, keep going? I know, of course, everybody has said the FBI is uh, asking questions about this. Is, so, what, you know, give me a sense of of where this all stands.
3: Well, there's there's a number of unanswered things about this. One is what is this FBI inquiry uh, going to turn up, if anything? Uh, and when you mentioned the, the FBI. Everyone gets pretty nervous. Uh, Frank Perry and Lee Roberts, when asked about this, they, uh, no, we can't talk about that. We can't confirm or deny there's an, an inquiry going on. And there's a lot of unanswered questions. For example, the first uh, uh, agenda that was put out for this meeting had Roberts, Perry, and Commissioner of Prisons David Geis listed uh, as being present and being able to answer questions. Well, uh, David Geis of... Uh, former Republican representative, now the, who runs the prisons, was at that meeting with two of his staffers, along with Perry, and he was not called uh, to the meeting. And uh, so you had a position where the, Secretary Perry was there to a- ask, answer questions, but the people who really know the prison business, uh, who could really get down in the weeds in the same way that Lee Roberts did on, on the cost and security concerns or on what happened at that meeting— uh, they were pointedly absent. So we haven't heard from them yet.
1: Well, I guess we'll leave it at that for now. Joe, hey, while we've got you, you, of course, were covering another uh, pretty interesting story that's been going on all year uh, relating to the leadership at the State Employees Association of North Carolina, Dana Cope. Uh, many of our listeners, are of course, familiar with uh, Dana Cope and he appeared in court to enter a plea uh, this week. You, you were there, is that right? I was there. Uh, tell us, what was that like?
3: Well, uh, uh, Dana Cope came in with his mother and his wife, and uh, there was a, a short hearing. He admitted his guilt. Uh, Lauren Freeman, the Wake County District Attorney, put on a lot of uh, evidence that, you know, uh, examples of his theft and misspending that were uh, uh, hadn't been out in public before. And it's just a representative sample, him going to the Umstead Hotel and Spa and getting a Babasu sugar scrub and pedicures and luxurious things like that and all this money he spent on his house and landscaping and furniture and the home theater and on and on. And this got the, uh, the, the judge, uh, Don Stevens, was just appalled that at both uh, Danikov's crimes, and at how the governing body of scenic allowed this to happen over such a long period of time, and and so repetitively, and he was uh, he was fairly repulsed by that.
1: Well, not to put too fine a point on it, but uh, you you tried to talk with them as you were reporting that story, and they. Pretty much dismissed the the questioning of how the money was being handled over there, isn't that right?
3: That's right. I I gave them copies of checks, of these of phony invoices, a spreadsheet of questionable credit card charges, and this did come out at the uh, at the at the hearing where the internal investigation was basically the president and first vice president and the scenic lawyer sat down with Dana Cope uh, and showed him the evidence that I had shared with them and. And he said no problems there, and they said oh okay, and that they never pulled any files, they didn't uh, double check or you know corroborate. Uh, they did they did no investigation. They just took his word on it. I think one of the interesting things about the, this hearing is that this was uh, this is the first really big uh, political case for Wake County District Attorney Lauren Freeman, who as Wake County District Attorney uh, is in charge of. Uh, political or political corruption investigations uh, in the state capitol and people call this a plea deal but it really the judge pointed out that it really wasn't a plea deal that Dana Cope pled guilty to the two charges he's going to have to pay back uh, all the money that he stole and he's going to prison for at least five years Uh, it was kind of a take it or leave it deal Uh, so I thought that was uh, telling uh, that we've, you know, there's the new sheriff in town.
1: So, uh, a lot of times when we describe something as a plea uh, deal, this really was just him entering a plea, entering of guilty. A, yeah,
3: guilty is charged. Interesting.
1: Let's see if we can't grab some audio from that hearing. Uh, the judge was it, Judge Stevens? John, judge Don Stevens. Don Stevens. Let's see if we'll grab some audio. We'll listen to that as we go out on a break, and then we'll be back with uh, Bruce Siseloff of the News and Observer and Patrick Gannon of the Insider. Uh, We'll be back in a second.
3: I would say that I'm puzzled
4: how an organization like this could allow itself to be taken over and to lose its own self-governance and to lose its own voice and to allow itself to become the alter ego of its executive director. Did everybody just look the other way, and everybody just lose their voice and either by worshiping him or fearing him and stick their head in the sand or stick their head in the muck? Um, how could an organization like this with a full-time staff lawyer uh, let this happen? How could this happen,
5: frankly? In 2016, when you go to the polls... Bring your passion. And be sure to bring a photo ID. You see, this election you'll be asked to show an acceptable photo ID at the polls. If you don't have an ID, or if you're unable to
2: obtain one, there are still options for voting.
5: There are lots of acceptable IDs.
3: But only one you. This election, be seen, be heard. For information on exceptions or for help getting a free ID, visit voterid.nc.gov or call 866-522-4723.
1: And welcome back to the Domecast, our weekly look back and ahead on all things in government and politics in North Carolina. Thank you for listening. I'm Andy Curlis with the News and Observer. We're joined now by Bruce Seisloff of the News and Observer and Patrick Gannon of The Insider. You're all familiar with his work. Uh, You know, I said um, uh, our weekly look back. I think we may... uh, we may take a break uh, for Thanksgiving so if this one runs long uh, you, you might want to save it for after the turkey and um, we'll, we'll, we'll communicate on that but we may uh, take a week off next week so uh, we may go a little longer this week but anyway let's talk with uh, let's see who should we talk with first Bruce Isoloff. you had an interesting story it was on the front page of the News and Observer as I recall and it related to something I hadn't thought a whole lot about which is uh, highway patrol enforcement of tractor trailers parking on on on-ramps and Um, off-ramps. Tell us a little bit about that and how in the world did you become interested in that?
4: Sure. Well, truck drivers put in long hours and they get sleepy and they need a place to rest. And unless they want to pay for a motel room, <coughs> pardon me. There are basically two legal places to stop: trucks, commercial truck stops, which might have a hundred or more parking spaces for trucks, and state uh, highway rest areas, which have parking spaces for trucks. And if those are full, then uh, and you're sleepy, or if you run out of hours uh, uh, from the federal trucker safety program that li- limits the amount of hours you can drive, whether you're sleepy or not you need to pull over and rest or you're subject to serious penalties. Um, I-77 is a northbound highway in North Carolina that goes from Surrey County at the Virginia border to Mecklenburg County at the South Carolina border. It's a heavy trucking corridor and uh, regularly there are uh, more trucks who need to nap than there are spaces in the available rest areas and truck stops. This is true in varying degrees in other parts of North Carolina, but it's especially true for different reasons in Surry County at the northern end of the state. Um, One of the big uh, uh, businessmen in Surry County is a longtime Republican fundraiser named Charlie Shelton, who with his brother Ed operates the Shelton Vineyards in Surry County. It's one of the biggest, most successful vineyards in North Carolina. And Charlie Shelton has been a political fundraiser since uh, the 1980s when he was uh, Jim Martin's campaign finance chairman and since then he's been giving, uh, he and his brother Ed and members of their family have given lots of money to political candidates. Charlie and Ed and their family members and employees gave a combined $44,000 to Governor McCory's campaign, his 2012 campaign for governor and they've been supporting him uh, long uh, before that. Charlie Shelton has been upset for years about truckers who pull onto the on-ramps to sleep and he says they they tear up the shoulders and make them into unsightly mud holes and sometimes they throw trash out of the trucks sometimes they climb out of the trucks to go to the bathroom on the roadside and uh, he notices that it's also against the law there's a a safety law that says you can't stop your car on the side of an interstate highway and it includes the shoulders of the on-ramps and on-ramps in that law it's an infraction It's a minor violation, a $25 ticket plus $188 court costs. But it's a little-known law, a little-enforced law, until Charlie Shelton got the Highway Patrol's attention. He went to Governor McCrory, his longtime friend, and expressed his concern about this. Governor McCrory uh, uh, relayed his concerns to the Highway Patrol. And they initially focused on Surrey County. And now,
1: now, I want to stop you there. How do we know that? Was it a phone call? <laughs> uh, uh, did he write a letter? I mean, how do we know that Shelton went uh, directly to the governor on that issue?
4: I, I got a tip about this. After the initial story, the High Patrol announced in June they were going to uh, start enforcing this parking law as a safety concern across the state, cars and trucks, all up and down all the interstate highways. And someone let me know later that this had originated with Shelton's complaint, and Shelton confirms it readily. Oh, I see. Okay, he sure. spoke with the that's governor, not in dispute. That's not in yeah. dispute. He mm-hmm. spoke with Governor McCoury when McCoury was in uh, Surrey County in uh, February or early March, and expressed his concern. Uh, a few days later, this resulted in a new enforcement uh, uh, effort in Surrey County, focusing on I-77 exits. And a month later, after that, Charlie Shelton's. Uh, 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 employee, Cindy McBride emailed the governor directly and said, "Uh, the problem hasn't gone away. We're still concerned about all these trucks parking on the exits. And Governor McCrory replied to her email saying, "Uh, I'm looking into this. And he copied the email to Frank Perry, who oversees the Highway Patrol. Immediately, the Highway Patrol began focusing on not just I-77 generally, but on the one exit used by Charlie Shelton when he goes home every day and used by 80,000 people that visit his vineyards uh, every year. This is Exit 93 Zephyr Road in Surrey County. And they assigned 24-7 surveillance to patrol the on-ramps and on-ramps to give tickets to trucks that stopped there. Uh, this later morphed into a statewide campaign in June. And um, I took a look at the, uh, the tickets that had been written statewide, a couple of hundred written in uh, June, July, and August alone and more than half of those were written in Surrey County. I talked to truckers who received some of these tickets and they said I told the trooper that gave me the ticket that I had nowhere else legal to sleep because the truck stock was full and the rest area was full. And the trooper would say that's okay just take this ticket I won't make you drive illegally but you're going to have to pay this ticket. Uh, Charlie Shelton um, says that he is not concerned just about his exit, but is concerned about safety and trash, as he says. The Highway Patrol says it is a legitimate, important statewide safety issue because according to their spin on crash statistics, one out of five deaths in an interstate highway crash, uh, one out of five of those fatal crashes involves a parked vehicle alongside the highway.
1: So, uh, but do we know, does that involve trucks at uh, ramps, or?
4: Uh, well, we don't, we don't know, and I'm looking into that. But okay. the Highway Patrol said you, you, you can't really tell from the statistics. You have to look at each crash report to know whether, how many, if any of these are actually on ramps.
1: Interesting. So, um, so that's one that you're continuing to uh, be interested in, it sounds like. Yes. Yeah. Very good. Uh, Patrick Gannon, welcome to the Domecast. I'm here. Tell us about a story that you uh, reported this week. It relates to uh, really something that happened at about four in the morning on the final day of the legislative uh, session. This is that moment when uh, lawmakers are singing uh, ballads and throwing footballs and, and then they pass a bill that we know as the technical corrections uh, bill. Uh, maybe take it from there, if, if you might. All right, well,
5: just, so we're kind of backing, backing oh, into it I'm here. I'm sorry, yeah. That's all right, that's all right. So in, at 4.12 a.m. on the last day of session uh, in September this year, a bill passed, um, which is kind of um, known as the technical corrections bill, which a lot of times is just that, technical corrections, where. Um, they fix uh, typos in previous legislation from the year. They might adjust a few things here or there to make, you know, the general statutes line up, things like that. Um, but often there are things that aren't really that technical. There's things that legislators really want to get done that they haven't been able to get done yet. That um, and this is it. This is the last chance, yeah, for, right? The session ended at four yeah. sixteen or four seventeen a.m. and we're talking four twelve at four twelve a.m. when everybody's really drowsy and loopy Mm -hmm. and ready to go home for the year not Uh, everybody though some people got their eye on the ball yeah some people really want to get these things passed so that happened representative david lewis of dunn who's the house rules chairman very powerful legislator top lieutenant of the house speaker tim moore at the uh in that technical corrections bill he inserted language and he acknowledges that that he did it um that basically deleted language that had passed in the budget uh, a couple weeks prior to that that would have allowed the state to take over a certain service that's currently provided by private contractors. That would be um, the towing storage and either sale at auction or otherwise disposal of vehicles seized uh, from certain offenders who, who by law their cars must be seized if they do certain things such as if you're if you're guilty if you're have uh, already been convicted of a DWI and you uh, get caught again in your car uh, driving while impaired and your license is revoked from the previous one, then by law they have to seize your car, and that's where these contracts come in. The contractor you know hires a towing company. The towing company comes out and get it gets the car. They take it to a, a lot to store, and the contractor does all this. And then there's the whole big process by which the car is. Uh, dealt with after that involving the courts and attorneys and the, the owner of the car and ultimately the car could be sold at auction or returned to the owner. So anyway, the state contracts these services out, it has two contractors, one in the eastern part of the state, one in the western part of the, state. of the state. My story focused on the contractor in the eastern part of the state, a guy named Ricky Day, who happens to be longtime friends with, uh, David Lew- with Representative David Lewis ricky day on april first of this year gave a five thousand dollar donation to lewis's campaign the following day uh representative lewis added a uh referral for, so let me back up a second so there was a bill moving through the general assembly that would have allowed the state surplus property agency to take over uh or it would give them the authority to take over these contracts uh and do it themselves um the Officials in the State Surplus Property Agency which is part of the Department of Administration have said they can do it cheaper. They can do it first of all, they can do it cheaper. And by doing it cheaper that would mean more money for the schools, local schools across the state because by law some of the uh, revenue from the towing storage and sale of these vehicles must go to public schools across the state.
1: The bill there's a bill moving right. along that would have allowed the state to do this. Right and uh, obviously the contractors don't want that to happen. Right, the
5: con- Ricky Day in the East and Eastway uh, record service in the western part of the state, they hired a lobbyist this year uh, to try to keep these contracts in the private sector. They're worth hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. We don't know exactly how much uh, they're worth. So this bill was moving through and Ricky Day gave the contribution to David Lewis. The following day um, David Lewis, who, who I said previously is the chairman of the House Rules Committee, move the bill, or, or I'm sorry, added a serial referral of the bill to the Rules Committee, which means it was currently in, in the Finance Committee, which means it would be heard there, and then it would have to go to the Rules Committee, which is David Lewis's committee again. Um, so needless to say, the bill never went anywhere again uh, for the session. Uh, but Representative George Cleveland of Onslow County, who wanted the state surplus, or once still wants the state surplus property agency to uh, to do this work because he thinks more money can go to the schools, uh, inserted language into the budget. And I don't know if he snuck it in or or you just put it in there and nobody noticed, or he put it in there and, and Representative Lewis let it go, but it ended up passing in the state budget, and that brought us to 4.12 a.m. Um, on the final day of session. So at
1: 4.11 a.m., the law of the land is the state will, will handle the disposal the and the the handling of all the of the state these. would have
5: the authority to do it if they chose okay, and it, and it chose. seems like state surplus property agency wanted to do and it and they want to do it so yeah. at 411 a.m that was the case uh, when this bill passed at 412 a.m. it deleted four lines in the budget bill which were the lines that would have allowed state surplus property to take over these contracts so in essence that meant that when these contracts in the eastern and western part of the state expire early next year, at the end of February, they will still be required to be bid out uh, to the private sector. Now,
1: part of your story, of course, made clear that uh, Ricky Day, the contractor in the East, says, well, look, I, yeah, I gave some money, I made this contribution, but that, that didn't buy me any uh, favor. In fact, I had to go hire a lobbyist, and he did. Is that right?
5: That's right. Um,
1: and so the lobbying effort was on then the rest of the session to, to get this done. And what does Representative Lewis say about why he did this?
5: Well, Representative Lewis acknowledged that he inserted that language. He thinks, and there are other people out there who think that, the, that there's really no evidence yet that State Surplus Property Agency can do it cheaper and return more money to the schools, do it cheaper, more effectively, et cetera. Representative Lewis uh, thinks there should be, has told me, thinks there should be a detailed study of this, figure out who can do it. Um, he's raised questions about whether surplus property can do it because of previous uh, contracts they've had to do this kind of work. Uh, he also questions how much it will cost them in overhead uh, in, in terms of, uh, and, and I guess he, he just questions whether the state can do it cheaper. He thinks uh, private contractors often can do work uh, a lot cheaper than, than government.
1: So this one's probably mm-hmm. headed to a study, it sounds
5: like. It seems like it Whenever most- things get gummed up, Call for a study. Yeah, and this one's really gummed up. You have both <laughs> sides, you know, both sides throughout the process, you know, went back and forth and just kept telling me, well, there's this and there's this and there's that and there's that, and this is why we can do it better, and this is why they can't do it better. So it, so a uh, program evaluation division study of this probably would be, probably would make sense in the end to try to figure out who can do it better um, and go from there.
1: Wow, so that's interesting, um, and, of course, you can find that uh Story on the Insider and at NewsObserver.com uh, or in the print edition of the News Observer. It ran midweek, I think, this past week if you're listening uh, during the week of the 20th. Um, let's take a break and we'll come back with our headliners of the week. But before we do that, I do have to say I mean, these are some complicated stories. They're uh, detailed, there's a lot of nuance to them. And 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 I think just by listening to you know Bruce and Joe and, and, and Pat Gannon and talk about these, you know I think uh, there is a real appreciation for um, these highly complicated issues and how um, how much work is involved in you know reporting out on this and getting it uh, you know done fairly and all of that. So it is interesting. So I thank all of you for being with us. Okay, like I said, let's take a break. And we'll come back with Headliners of the Week.
3: Today, my new dad and I shot off a rocket in the park.
4: Today, my new son and I failed to shoot off a rocket.
3: The rocket launched into the air.
2: And then crashed into the pond.
1: I'll never forget that day.
2: I'll never forget that day, even if I tried. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of kids in foster care will take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council.
1: Oh, and welcome back to the Domecast, the favorite part of the show Probably most of you just slid right to this point and you've skipped everything So if you did that, go back and listen because we've got a good show in the books already Uh, But this is the moment for Headliners of the Week As you know, 45 seconds to nominate and argue for why someone should be the headliner We throw them in the hat and just for fun we pick somebody um but don't you know, there's no medal awarded or anything like that. So all right, Patrick Gannon of the Insider, you're on the hot seat. Tell us who is your headliner of the week.
5: I'm gonna go with Representative Mike Hager of rutherfordton who um he's the majority leader in the House of Representatives. He's seen as a more conservative member. He had some some fairly strong words uh, about the story I talked to uh, talked about previously involving Representative David Lewis, and basically said he doesn't think you know there was any pay to play going on necessarily, but if if there was, this is something that needs to be dealt with in the Republican caucus. And I think this kind of gets at the whole issue of the split and the rift in the Republican caucus. There's more moderate uh, Republicans, and then there's more there's the farther right. Uh, more conservative ones, and there's definitely a power struggle going on there, and I think this issue uh, illustrates that perfectly. So I'm going to go with Representative Mike Hager.
1: The majority leader in the House, and now uh, Representative Lewis, as I recall, uh, he really didn't like uh, Representative Hager uh, speaking that way in in your article. He did not at all.
5: He he saw it as a cheap shot, and he was very disappointed in Representative Mike Hager.
1: Yeah. Okay. So Mike Hager making headlines. Let's go now to looking around here. Okay. Craig Jarvis of the News and Observer, tell us, who is your headliner of the week?
2: Ken Spaulding. He's the Durham lawyer who's running against Roy Cooper in the Democratic primary. He's been uh, kind of an afterthought in a lot of the coverage because, well, Primarily, the fundraising—he's—he's he's far behind. But he made it clear this week he's going to be—he's uh, going to be uh, raising his profile as much as possible. he he, he released a uh, ad, a three-minute ad video that I guess has just been online. I'm not quite sure what the plans are for it. But he challenges uh, Roy Cooper primarily on uh, failing to retry the, uh, uh, the police officer in Charlotte who shot and killed uh, an African young African American man. Um, and he's he's in doing so. He's really bringing out the uh, I, I don't want to say the race card, but he's African American himself. Uh, he's pointed out many times in discussions I've had that, with him that 45% of the Democratic Party in the state is African American. He's suggesting that uh, Cooper and, uh, and the other and the political establishment ignores him and that voting block at their peril. Uh, so uh, I think he's setting the stage for a very lively
1: primary election. So Ken uh, Spalding, if you haven't seen the, uh, I guess it's an ad. I don't know that it's being paid to run anywhere, uh, but but certainly it's been covered as a as a news story because of its interest. Um, if you haven't seen it, take a look at the that uh, the Ken Spalding ad uh, targeting Roy Cooper. I think one of the quotes in there is Roy Cooper made himself judge and jury in that case, and uh, Ken Spalding didn't like that. So, all right, Ken Spalding in the hat. Let's go now to Ben Brown, first time on the Domecast this week. Welcome. Good to be here. Uh, ben Brown of the Insider, tell us who is your headliner
0: of the week. Uh, Well, I'm going to go Roy Cooper, but for uh, a different reason, uh, for essentially aligning with Governor McCrory on the refugee issue, at least that's how people are phrasing it, saying, you know, we need to hit pause on refugees coming in from that part of the world, Syria in particular, until we have the best screening measures possible, which puts another Democrat in the ring of people at odds with President Obama on the issue generally. Um, This didn't sit well with a number of Cooper supporters or many Democrats in general, and they took to Social media and other avenues to criticize them. So, big, huge, hot, politicized issue. So, my headliner of the week is going to be Roy Cooper for his foray into that.
1: Attorney General Roy Cooper. Yes, uh, basically in agreement with uh, the governor on the refugee uh, issue. So, okay, Roy Cooper in the hat. And I'm looking around. I see Joe Neff. Uh, thanks for sticking around, joining us for Headliners of the Week. Joe Neff, tell us who is your headliner of the week? My
3: headliner of the week is the State Correctional Officer. Uh, these men and women have a tough job, they don't get paid that much, they haven't had many raises.
1: Wait, hold on, hold on, You're Like this is like a, a, a generic... The
3: generic State okay. Correctional I know, like, Officer. Okay, like, like when
1: time does like the soldier or the something soldier. like that. Okay, I got you. Yeah. Go ahead.
3: Yeah. Um, and many of these uh, officers for years have been paying $12 a month to the State Employees Association of North Carolina uh... to represent their interests, to get them better benefits and pay and turns out that the head of the state employees association Dana Cope has been stealing a lot of that money over the years when he should have been looking out for employees like correctional officers well for the next five years those correctional officers will be uh, shoes on the other foot and they will be looking after the interest of Dana Cope
1: (laughs) Oh, I would love to have a camera on that. They do have cameras, don't they? They have
3: videos uh, in every
1: prison. Now, that's not something that's privatized either. Uh, No. In fact,
3: uh, in three prisons, it used to be privatized, the maintenance of those videos, but that was uh, uh, taken back.
1: That's being canceled as well (laughs) as all of these stories merge into one. So, okay, the state correctional officer... uh, Really, the ones who will be watching Dana Cope uh, in the hat as a headliner of the week.
5: That's not me,
1: ever. And uh, Gannon from the uh, gallery says that's the best one ever. All right, Bruce Seisaloff, thanks for sticking around, headliners of the week. Bruce Seisaloff, tell us, who is your headliner of the week?
4: My headliner is Josephus Daniels. He was the wait. Founder well,
1: hold on, hold on, jo- jo- Who? Josephus Daniels. His okay. pictures on the wall behind. You okay. 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 Got it. Josephus Daniels
4: was the founder, <coughs> pardon me, and publisher of the News and Observer in the late nineteenth late nineteenth century, and he moved our offices in nineteen seventeen to the block where they are now, the block bounded. Nineteen oh seven. Nineteen oh seven. Nineteen oh seven. Okay, I thought it was nineteen seventeen. The block bounded by McDowell. Martin, Hargett, and Saunders Streets in downtown Raleigh, Salisbury Street, and it's been we've been on this block ever since. The Daniels family owned and uh, operated the News and Observer until the late 1990s and sold it to McClatchy, which is based in California. But another sign that Josephus Daniels' uh, influence and legacy uh, uh, will continue to uh, exist for some time comes in the sale last week that was announced uh, this week rather. Uh, uh, a sale negotiated by our current publisher, George Quarles, to sell uh, most of the acreage we have in this block to developers who have big plans for this block. That's going to transform part of Raleigh. Uh, there'd been a fear that once this property went up for sale, that, that it would just the block would be scraped clean, and, and newspaper employees would be left to find uh, places to work in, in a suburban office or on the empty floor of one of the downtown towers. But part of the deal here. Uh, uh, includes provision that uh, will we'll hang on to one of the buildings. It'll be renovated to provide new offices for everyone who remains employed by the company in downtown Raleigh. And nothing will happen uh, until those offices are ready for us current employees to move into. The building we operate now was built in 1956. It was 20 years old when I started working And this building will be raised only after we've been moved into our new digs uh, a few feet away in an adjoining building. And so Josephus Daniels' legacy will live uh, long on this block, uh, even years after his family has sold the paper to McGledgy.
1: So Josephus Daniels, now Bruce, just so you know, I did not ring the bell on you, but but, um, okay. Uh, Josephus Daniels I think he turned uh, some small investment you know really out of pocket less than $10,000 into uh, his uh, grandchildren uh, sold the paper in the mid 90's for right around 350 million so not a bad uh, return there either alright this is the moment we pick a headliner of the week and I think it's uh, clear from those who are in the hat, uh, although state correctional officer is uh, a close second, but I think the headliner of the week is Roy Cooper. Roy Cooper both uh, mentioned in Craig's uh, commentary there on uh, Ken Spalding, but also with Ben Brown. And so so really I think Roy Cooper is the headliner of the week as a welcome to being a gubernatorial candidate uh you know he gets uh the two two uh, thorny issues uh one from his democratic uh opponent in the primary and the other from liberals in the liberal uh wing of the party both uh coming after him pretty uh hard and so for that We'll say Roy Cooper is the headliner of the week. Like I said, I think we're going to take a break, uh, over the Thanksgiving, uh, holiday. Uh, please enjoy, uh, turkey and mashed potatoes and, um, uh, I guess football. Is that the other, is that what people do? Football? Football. Uh, and watch some football games. And we will, um, I think next uh, week we will do we do a uh, special dome on Thanksgiving, so you can look for that, and uh, and then we'll be back uh, as we as we continue uh, our uh, interesting look at various uh, stories and people who are affecting government and politics
0: in North Carolina. Thanks again, and we will see you soon.